Welcome once again to the Hole in My Heart podcast with Matt and Lori Krieg. And today, forgiveness, also the worst best. Yeah, you nailed that. That's exactly (laughs) right. Mm. Yeah, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, which traditionally is not the most fun, but uh, the results are great. So, hey, this is episode 11. My name is Lori. I'm here with my husband, Matt. Hello, hello. And producer, Steve. We are so glad that you are here today. And I just want to tell you, if this is your first time, episode 11, coming here to the Hole in My Heart podcast, I'm just going to do a little refresher about why are we doing this? Mm. And you'll hear us say, we talk about how the gospel is good news for everybody every day. The reason we emphasize that how and why we talk about the gospel is we... The gospel is I'm more broken and sinful than I believe, and I am more crazy loved than I can imagine. And that's not just a prayer we pray. That's not a one-time thing. That's an ongoing thing that goes on in all of our lives. I experience same-sex attractions. I'm in a mixed-orientation marriage. Matt wrestles with pornography. Steve has had his own journey with his own sexual brokenness. So what we're trying to do here is destigmatize certain sin struggles. And so instead of just traditionally where specifically my type of sexual brokenness, um, it's been like a special corner of a special room in like a church basement where you can talk about it. We want to bring it here and talk about how does the gospel work itself out in my life? How does it work out in Matt's and, and Steve's and guests that we bring on? So we really want to demonstrate that and not hide and and talk to you all about it and hear from you. So This podcast is split up into three different sections. The first section is the question of the week. That's what we ask and answer from last week. We'd love to hear from you from week to week, some of these answers, and we'd love to feature some of your answers. Um, The second section is Goofball Island, which comes straight from basically the counseling movie. Thank you, Pixar. Uh, It's Inside Out, and we love that one. And on there, it's about this preteen girl who is wrestling through all her emotions and you get to see inside of her head and she has these five different islands of personality I believe is what it is so there's family island friendship island honesty island hockey island so it's all these pivotal things in her life Mm. and then also goofball island and so it just makes up this little girl's uh mind and so Matt and I will say this to each other, like, I'm just on Goofball Island. I just need to be crazy right now. Um, And so that's why we have Goofball Island is honestly, I personally am very serious. We run a counseling ministry. Our lives are very sad and serious. And so we need to force ourselves to talk about goofy, silly things because it is all worship and glory to God. We want to be deep, not only like sad deep, but like happy deep, um, joyful deep. And the last section is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is where we get to like the hearty, meaty stuff. And so if you're listening to this podcast, we, Matt and I were just talking about this in a coffee shop. We're like, people who listen to our podcast, read our stuff is not for the faint of heart. It's people who are going deep. And so if you're listening, we, that's you. So thank you. And that's the part where we get to some of the, the deep, sad, and well, just more like thoughtful heart stuff. So Thank you so much for listening. I sound like I'm about to end, but we're just beginning. So let's start now um, with that first section, which is the question of the week. Last time we talked about lament, Matt, and, um, and Stephen, we were talking about how that is directly connected to forgiveness. So you guys, what is or who is a person that you've had to wrestle through some forgiveness with? Yeah, well, I, I think that, I mean, we all go through 
seasons of needing to forgive different people in our lives. Some of them for, for very, very big things, um, but we all have someone. And, and one of them that, that comes to mind for me is actually one of my, uh, my teachers from back when I was in junior high that I had a really hard time forgiving because, you know, I kind of put myself out there and it was actually a gym teacher. Um, and we were playing this game and I, I wasn't an overly confident person and still am not at all times. And so, you know, I put myself out there and really, really exerted myself in this game we were playing. And rather than like respond positively, he just laughed at me when I, when I messed up. And, and that really sent me into this season where I was not confident about anything. And I was like really not putting myself out there actively, like hiding pieces of myself because of fear of, of being ridiculed. And, and so, I mean, that was something that it took me into my thirties before I really ever even thought about it or dealt with it in any way. Um, Isn't it crazy how those little quote unquote things can be so significant in to your thirties? Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I would say I still struggle with, I guess, some sense of I guess, anger toward people like me, you know, wow. um, Gen X and older white evangelical Christians <laughs> who are about, you know, what's right. Yeah. Only, you know, like it's very clear. You see them talk about, you know, whatever issue of the day, it's always a very conservative kind of uh, uh, position and very like, I know it all. And you, you know, um, there's a lot of accusation and a lot of, um, I guess, condescension. And I think, you know, you are my peers and. I can't stand you. I can't imagine people at a, you know, in a younger generation, people who are like, you know, kind of like the next generation of our culture, Millennials. how they're seeing us and how others there. I'm getting thrown in with that, you know? So I feel like this embarrassment and like, please don't try to represent me by the way you're engaging, you know, this kind of issue or um, whatever. I think that comes from, when I was when I was younger, I was kind of the younger generation and people who kind of treated me that way didn't really care about where I was at, my, where my heart was at. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to forgive some of those people, um, a couple of whom I am still actually doing life with. I'm in relationship with and I've been able to get beyond some of that hurt from when I was younger and work through that and process that and actually forgive them to where I can actually have a relationship with them now. But I still, I feel it in me when I, you know, somebody who I maybe don't even really know very closely, but I see it, you know, on Facebook or I see it represented, you know, somewhere, um, I have to go, okay, you know, God loves them. God loves them. So. Mm-hmm. Thanks for saying that. That actually means a lot. Or it's nice to hear a representative of your <laughs> generation yeah. and stereotype right, uh, right, right. because I know you and I know, you know, I know the substance of Steve, but <laughs> it's funny to hear you be like, no, I'm frustrated at my own yeah. people. And I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. I know there's gotta be a lot. Oh yeah. But thanks. That's mm. some healing in me too. <laughs> uh, someone that's been hard for me to forgive is a group of someone's and it's men on the whole to be honest with you, because I can totally stereotype men. I know I've talked about this a little bit before, but I've had to write laments. I was actually encouraged recently by Carolyn. She's like, yep, Lori's still got some 
bitterness going on there toward men in general. I think just I can stereotype like they're all just sex maniacs and they're all stronger than me and can perpetrate me. And I just it's a, there's a lot of fear and anger and stereotyping that I do. And so I'm I'm still a work in progress, to be honest, on that one. So. All right, let's shift. Let's go to Goofball Island. And here we are. Uh, <laughs> like, we could just sit and roll back. It's such a more pleasant setting. It is. Let's not talk about the woes <laughs> of the day. Let's talk about, we're going to answer three questions today. And it is this. How do you take your coffee? How do you take your ice cream? And how do you take your sleep? Yes, coffee, ice cream, and how do you, like, is there, like, a, a system that you do in order to go to sleep? Mm, yeah. No. Is, is it weird that my answer for all three is chocolate? <laughs> 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 not, not really, but, you know, well, you, you know my morning, my morning ritual, Lori. I, I cannot have coffee if chocolate is not also involved. Mm. I, I uh, drink what many people would consider froofy coffee um, <laughs> yeah. because I, I must have chocolate and hot cocoa powder, even at home. True story, oh, bro. Yeah. After we did our fasting podcast, we got convicted and have are on a, uh, now I feel like I'm totally going to like negate any of the goodness of it, but we're on a chocolate fast, which is a big deal for both of us because <laughs> we love chocolate. And Mal's like, but, but can I in my coffee, please? And I was like, okay, yeah, you can. <laughs> that was that was the one exception that, that I got. You know, no no candy bars, yeah. no chocolate chip cookies. But oh, wow. I was like, I, I can't do it if I can't put the hot chocolate in my coffee. And Struggle so, is real. Yeah. Chocolate is basically its own food group in our household. <laughs> so, yeah, but going, going to sleep, I as long as there are not children screaming, I feel like that is that's how I would like it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know anything about. It. What about ice cream? Just well, no, the chocolate as well, which means I don't do ice cream right now because oh. Our, but if you could do ice cream, if I could, there would be chocolate involved. So I'd either be like chocolate peanut butter, that's my favorite combo, um, or or you know like cookies and cream. So not chocolate necessarily, but the you know the chocolate cookies in there. So our mailing address is <laughs> P.O. Box. <laughs> I wanted to answer the question just with three words. Yes. Black with chunks and with music. <laughs> and then let listeners just <laughs> figure out which ones to so, apply that to. With chunks, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I sleep with chunks. No, I, I love black well, that coffee. Was obviously the coffee. I mean, like, I'm going to be honest. I don't know that I would say I love in the sentence with coffee, I need coffee. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a core need. It's, it is, a, it's it is, the hole it's in my in heart. It's the list. Let's put that <laughs> out there. No. Uh, when I was in college, I was doing an early morning internship that was like the most boring internship you can imagine. Yeah. And I think I might've had a, a job that I was, I worked nights, you know, so it was just the hardest thing and I was poor. And when I first arrived, they were giving me the tour and they were like, here's the coffee. And I was like, is that free to just take? Like, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah. Because the, they also had a vending machine, you know, where there was Mountain Dew, you know, like that was how I was used to staying awake. 
So I was like, okay, but caffeine and I can get it for free. So I'll do this. Hate the taste of it, but that's okay. It's not there for the taste, you know? Right. And so that was how I learned. I didn't want to put the stuff in it because I was like, I got to get all the right ratios and all that and stir it. No, I just want to pour it and go. So that's how I started drinking black coffee and that's how I still drink it with ice cream also chocolate definitely feel you on the chocolate oh, but yeah. with, with chunks i though. like chunks yeah so my wife she's got this place we go to and she loves this real creamy like gelato-y kind of mm. she's like it's the best and it's like so smooth and i'm like i want some substance in there something i can chew yes. so i like chocolate and then like busted up candy bars or you know whatever <laughs> nuts or you know chocolate covered nuts or whatever <laughs> in the actual chocolate ice cream and then for sleep um, this was a uh, sort of a point of contention with me and my wife when oh. we first got married, because I always just like put on a CD, you know, put on some kind of music what? as like I'm falling a asleep. Toddler? No, no, not a story. <laughs> not like, you know, some kind of story like music. Bitsy, bitsy, spy. <laughs> right, right. Oh, no, now we're shaming. All right. New, is that, new is that your matter. genre? That's no. OK. I forgive you. OK, thank you. I forgive thank you. you for that shaming. No. I would put on music and um, my wife and I got married and she's like, what's this? I, I had this like, you know, in those days, boom box, you know, I didn't crank it up. You know, I had to like turn down low and I was like, yeah, yeah, I fall asleep to music and we had to work through that. I mean, was it like death metal or what, no. was, what was the genre? I don't know. It was probably like Sting and U2. It wasn't like super disruptive. Do you still listen to music? I do. I put in the earbuds. Oh, yeah. are I they wireless? Uh, no. <laughs> I also sleep. I don't move you around dangerously. a lot. Yeah, I don't move around a lot when I sleep because my wife would have to say, you're going to like strangle yourself. No, I, you know, anyway. My heart just grew a few sizes for you. That's really sweet. Really? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's nice. Okay. All right, my turn. <laughs> so how do I take my coffee? I used to just take it black and in a French press, but then I had kids. And then when we learned the magic of setting it the night before, and I love myself so hard the next day, every time I come down and Folgers in your cup, <laughs> it's actually more like Aldi, which is basically Folgers and not Starbucks and not French press. Don't care, winning. I do like a little cream in there and also maple syrup because I'm from Michigan and it's basically Canada. Moving along, <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> so I'm gonna talk about my favorite ice cream right now and I might get judged real hard. So once upon a time, we lived in California. My friends out there who listen to this podcast are gonna know what I'm talking about. I went to a regular old place where you get some ice cream and I say I want my favorite flurry I want Oreos so chunks also peanut butter cups also caramel so I stare at them they're like okay they go in the back they come back do you know what they tell me we can't serve you that because it's too many calories yeah talk about shaming and I was like what and they're like well we can give you the caramel on the side and I was like Okay. So apparently in California, you know, there's the calories are listed on everything everywhere. And so yeah. it's probably like 400 calories to 2000. I'm guessing I was hitting like 3000, 4000. And so they could not legally sell me this ice cream. You've gone beyond the legal limit mm -hmm. of yes, calories in California. And so they give me my flurry and a little cup of caramel on the side. And I just poured it together and ate it and washed my tears away in my flurry. <laughs> But I moved back to Michigan, and they don't shame you here. They give you as many calories as you want. <laughs> like, you need them to survive the winter. Yeah. 
with my maple syrup coffee. I and wonder if they'll ever have like a breathalyzer for calories. Yeah. You think? You get pulled over <laughs> and be on the lead. Sorry, only Michael Phelps can eat this one. Yeah. <laughs> I just seriously, I need, there's some forgiveness and sleep. So I, back when I had a head injury, I slept a lot during the day. And so I got a face mask, sleep mask, I guess is what it's called. I can't sleep without it now. I have to have that sleep mask in and I fall asleep in four seconds, much to Matt's chagrin. I am very envious of that trait. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now we're going to move to the heart of the matter. And this is where we get to the heart of things. And so Matt and I, we talked last time. um, If you missed that episode, we talked about lament. Matt, what's lament? Uh, Well, lament is the expression of all that pent up emotion, usually negative because we don't like to share that. But it's this just like guttural cry of, I just need to get this out because I can't hold it in anymore. So there's sorrow, there's anger, there's, well, usually those two. Mm. Um, some combination of, of sorrow and anger, and, and we direct it toward God as opposed to the people that we might want to direct it toward. So those people that we want to, well, that we need to forgive, it's, it's very fun to just lash out at them and feel vindicated in whatever we say. But then, you know, that's not healthy. And so this, the lament is taking all that stuff that you feel and would like to say to someone else and kind of unfiltered, give it to God um, so that he then has, well, that he can deal with it. Right. And I was talking last week about how when Matt came forward to me six years into our marriage with his secret pornography addiction, I, we went through a lot of healing, but then a few months down the road, I was still really wrestling with a lot of anger and bitterness toward him. And any of my spiteful little comments weren't necessarily helping our marriage and they weren't helping me heal and feel better. So I wrote a lament out to God and then I went to Matt and I said, I think I need to take this to God with you praying like beside me. And so you led me through some of this safe place process, some of this listening prayer, and I went to God with my pain. And um, you mentioned last week just like how that really helped you, I don't know, connect your heart to mine. Can you recap us a little bit on that? Yeah, it was, I had been entering this, this process thinking that crap, I am going to get just verbally berated. Um, so even though you knew I was going to talk to God, you were nervous that I would just, I oh guess yeah, just I passively, aggressively be mean to you as well, I talk to God. Yeah, I didn't want to enter that because I'm like, I'm the one who caused this pain. I don't want to be, you know, sitting here and basically listening to all this pain that I had caused you feel like it was directed at me. But But in this process, it was actually really helpful because when you were doing it, as much as you could have directed it toward me, you were able to to really just live in that emotion, but but direct it toward God and not make these like personal statements about me as the the big jerk that hurt you. And that was pretty hard for me because my flesh really wanted to passive aggressively rip into you. To be honest, like I wanted to just be like, well, and he's such a blah blah blah, and I probably would have been right. Like what I would have been saying would have been, would not have been a false statement, but I knew it, it. Anger is a mask emotion for fear or sadness, and so I knew I needed to get below the 
my desire to just be mean to you and then feel the real anger towards you, dump it on God. And then even below that, I needed to say, I feel statements like I feel sad because of this. I feel fearful because when you did that, I felt insecure. And so I, I dumped that out on God and your heart started to connect to mine. But then I was able to jump pretty quickly, even in that prayer into a forgiveness process. And, um, God gave me this image of him. And this is how I was trained to do forgiveness is I pictured Jesus on the cross and he like dying there. And I could see this image of our marriage, like a stained glass window. And I could see Matt with his deceit and his lies, just shattering it. And I was looking down in my mind's eye um, after I got all this guttural lament out and I picked up each piece of stained glass and I, I saw it again in my mind's eye cutting my hand and I could see like, this is when Matt lied that one time and I knew he wasn't really where he said he was. And I put that stained glass, like I, it's like I pictured it like stabbing Jesus. I know this is a little graphic. It helped me. But here he is dying, and it's like Matt's sin is killing Jesus, essentially, which Jesus had to die for Matt's sin, so this is pretty theologically accurate. So then I picked up another one, and this, this one time when Matt was there, and blah, 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 and I gave it to Jesus. But I didn't just do one massive, oh, you hurt our marriage, I forgive you, and, and plaster a smile onto my face. It was more getting underneath the wanting to retaliate anger, to the legitimate anger, to the pain and the fear, saying those I feel statements, and then looking at the wounding, <laughs> looking at the actual events and letting them like, yeah, it hurt me. I'm going to have scars on my hand from this. But letting Jesus be the one to die for it. I didn't pick up that shard of glass and stab Matt with it. I let Jesus take the pain. And then this is the critical part for me is I saw how I reacted sinfully in response to Matt's pain and his wounding to me. I wasn't a safe person for him. I um, retaliated back. I did not just respond like a saint. I said some of those spiteful things that <laughs> I didn't want to say in this lament, but I did say some and I would withhold love from him. So I picked up those pieces of glass and let Jesus die for those too. And then... I pictured Jesus rising again. And he's like, I paid it all, Lori. So forgiveness to me is giving up the right to pay a person back. Forgiveness means I am not gonna carry this ability to stab you, even if I could, even if I'm right. And I'm gonna let Jesus be the payer. Totally, I have scars. I am, my hand is maybe gonna bleed for a while. Building trust back with you is gonna take time. But Jesus is the the payer that's the wrong word but he is the one who is in charge yeah. of the the payment so that freed me so much for real i feel like we can talk about this now that scene and there were moments after that where i was like i wanted to unforgive is what i could call it like where i wanted to take back the knives out of jesus body and stab matt with it and i was that was the time that i didn't put a plastic smile i reminded my soul nope i forgave him yeah, and I, I think that that process is is really important because, well, first off, I mean, you had to do this lament because if you don't if you don't know 
those things that actually need to be forgiven. You, you don't know the weight of your forgiveness. You don't know the weight of this, well, the ability to pay back that you're, that you're giving up. And, you know, so often we're, we're trained in the church to just the easy forgiveness of, which is not forgiveness at all of basically forgive and forget, just put a little sheet over it, you know, yep. well, I forgive you, but then inside you're, you're still bitter. You're still angry. You still want to pay people back. And you, you really have to identify like what has this sin against you? Because let's face it, it is the only thing you can forgive is sin. Right. You know, if you accidentally like bump into someone, you, you say, Oh, I'm sorry, but you don't need to ask for forgiveness because it wasn't, there was no malice. There was no intent. There was no, it wasn't necessarily a sin against another person as much as it was just a result of we live in a fallen world and might happen to bump into one another and then fall down. Right. And that's more like looking over an offense. Even Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not an offense. It's, it's Mm -hmm. just a a happenstance, Mm. you know, but, but with forgiveness, you, and with these things where you are sinned against, you need to understand the weight of, of what you are giving up because if you don't, then it's going to come back. Right. And, you know, to use the imagery that, that you've set forth with the, the stained glass window, you know, and I need to be aware as the person that you have forgiven that there might be like, you know, if a, if a piece of glass actually breaks, there sometimes you can come back after cleaning it up even weeks later. Yes. You know, and, and you might find a little tiny shard. Absolutely. And, and so the, there are these little tiny shards of, of unfor, unforgivenness hmm. that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven me. It's just, it may be a, a new thing, like a, a new trigger that you recognize or a new, a new something that is then like, oh, there was this little tiny piece. Doesn't mean the whole thing has to be gone through again, but you have to take that little piece. Do you find when you work with clients that they feel guilty about that little piece or they feel like they can't look at that? I mean, sometimes, yeah. And, and sometimes, and it's actually because I work with marriages, um, a lot of times it's the person who is needing the forgiveness that if the, the person forgiving comes to them and, and has to do this forgiveness process again, the person who is being forgiven oh. might say, well, you haven't forgiven me. And it's like, well, no, they have, but there's still more. Mm. You know, there's still this this other shard of glass that needs to be taken care of. And it hopefully won't be as visceral and as, you know, emotionally wrought as that first time through when there's these large chunks of glass you know, but, but it is still there and it's still something that, Hey, if you're walking barefoot, a little tiny piece of glass can cut you and it hurts a little bit. No, it's not being stabbed in the chest. But that second part of the forgiveness where you're, you're really putting your, as you visualized your, your, the pieces of glass, like Jesus taking them into himself on the cross. And this has been something that's really been kind of wrecking me lately and something that I've been trying to incorporate more and more into the counseling that I do is the reason that, that we need to forgive other people is because we are in the same position as them. You know, the Bible talks about it in the parable of the, the servants where the one owes the king millions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever the trans translation turns out to, and then goes and doesn't forgive the other, the other servant who owes him just a little bit. You know, how can we not forgive someone else when we've been forgiven so much? But in order to do that, we have to recognize our own sin, not against other people, but against God. 
And I mean, you look at the story of Paul and Saul, and I know, Lori, you just wrote a, a blog about this very recently, that when Saul is persecuting the Christian church, he he doesn't stop because he realizes like, oh, I've been mean to people. Oh, shoot. Sorry, Stephen. Like, no, the only thing that gets him to stop is this encounter where he realizes that he is actively sinning. And well, as Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's that moment when Saul realizes his sin against God that allows him to, to change his ways. That is really good. And the, the post that Matt's talking about, which honestly, I ripped it from one of our real life conversations. It's called Against You and You Alone, which refers to David and Bathsheba. Um, when he writes this psalm, Psalm 51, he looks at God and he's like, against you and you alone have I sinned. And Matt, you said when you're talking, you're like, uh, probably Uriah would be like, what about me, bro? <laughs> uh, you did kill me. So what you're saying with Saul right there in, in the relationship to my putting my sin on the cross alongside yours, and when you work with marriages who they're like, no, you sin more. No, you sin more. The point is not who sin more. The point is we all killed Jesus. We all nailed them to the cross. And so when we can see that, it's not a matter of like, well, you're the worst sinner. No, you're the worst sinner. That's pointless. With Jesus, Saul, it wasn't about Stephen. It was about Jesus. Why do you persecute me? With David, it wasn't about Uriah. It was about against you and you alone have I sinned. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, if we, if we continue to look at our relationship with one another, like to take us, for example, me and you, Lori, like, yes, I know that I sinned against you in, in my use of pornography for, you know, those years of our marriage where I kept silent. But there were also these times where, where you sinned against me, as you said, you weren't a safe person. Now you weren't like actively belligerent against me. Like that there wasn't malice, but there was the sense that you were actively hurting me. And if I look at that, I can look and say, well, I guess I had a little bit, a little inkling of, you know, reason behind my sin. Like, well, you were being mean, so I couldn't come out. And so I, you know, I, I guess my use of porn is just a tiny bit justified. Right. When, if I'm looking at my relationship with God, my vertical relationship with him, and as my sin, the primary place where my sin rests isn't against you, Lori, it's against God, because in order to ever sin against you, I need to have placed something in God's place on his throne. Wait, restate that so I can get it. So the only reason I looked at porn, well, not the only, but one of the main reasons I looked at porn is because it was an idol in my life. First and foremost, it was the thing that I went to to meet my needs. Right, which and, we've talked about this before on episode four, that hole in my heart. So if you want to hear some of the core needs. So you're running to pornography to run from, well, to try and get that need of your heart met, which was to be desired and seen, right? Yeah, to be desired and to feel like I had worth. And, you know, ultimately, God is the one who's supposed to give me that. Yes, people are supposed to support that and help to to meet some of that need, but ultimately that has to come from God. And so the only way that I'm going to be going to pornography is if for some reason I remove God from his throne and place it above him. And that idolatry that is first and foremost a sin against God because of my pride and thinking I know how to do things and meet these needs on my own is what kind of opens the door for me to be able to sin against you. 
So you ran to porn to meet this need of your heart to have worth instead of running to God. So the second you remove God from the throne, essentially, the second you ran to this other idol, really anything's up for grabs. It's I'm up for grabs. So, okay, Lori, you're not meeting my need either. So it's, it's, it's God is first and primary and all with people as the supporting cast, or it's really anything goes. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, in a sense, but it's also like the way that my sin affected you was almost collateral damage. Huh. It's like I shot a, a lobbed a grenade at God. Hmm. And because of my proximity to you and, you know, and the relationship that we have together, when that grenade exploded of my own idolatry and pride, it came out in this way that also affected you. But the sin primarily was against God. And I know that's kind of hard for some people to hear, especially if you've been hurt. But it's only, and this is the, the, the good part of this, it's only in a recognition of my sin against God that gives me long-lasting kind of victory over, you know, my struggle with porn. Because if you're ever mean to me, Lori, I could, I could start to feel like, well, it's justified again. Right. Whereas God is perfect. Mm. God is never going to remove himself from the throne. It has to be, like, it would have to be me actively taking him off of it. And which is never justified. And so if I have no excuse to sin against God, I have no excuse to sin against you. And I have no excuse to sin against Steve or anyone else. Because ultimately, my sin is first and foremost against God. And that is a relationship that it severs more completely than any other. Hmm. Now, thankfully, there's also that forgiveness which Christ bore on the cross. He took the, the weight of the sin and therefore he also bears the responsibility for payback you know, vindication is, or mine says the Lord, is that the, the term? Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. Lord. Yeah. Yep. That's so good, Matt. That's so rich. Couple questions. Yeah. First, thank you guys so much for just helping us process forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and I really, I hope that I know we probably don't have time in this episode, but I would love to hear more about how we invite Jesus into like our imagination to give us the picture that he gave you, Lori, of him on the cross with the stained glass window. And, you know, just to be able to, I guess, speak to the deep places in our hearts through the use of, you know, a picture like that, because yeah. I know that that was custom made for you. I'm not going to get the same kind of picture, but anyway, so that's, I hope an entire podcast. Yeah, we definitely will. And which is really great because Carolyn is going to be here next week, which if you have followed our blog or read anything we've done, we often talk about Carolyn and she is the one who, um, she's the reason I'm here today, okay. at least staying with Jesus and not dead. To so we are going to, yeah, that'll okay. be next time. So with regard to forgiveness specifically, and this might just be basic, but like, it's clearly a process. Like you said, it's not like just you're forgiven, but like, do you have like a, I don't know, a time frame? Do people, uh, if, if forgiveness is taking five years, is that too long? If, if forgiveness just takes, you know, a day, is that too short? Like what's the, is there a rule of thumb there? Or? What would you say, Matt? I mean, I would say there's a range. Five years does seem like a long time, but I mean, it, it depends on what happened and, right. and when, I mean, if you were a young kid when something happened and stuff keeps coming up, like with our brains, we can suppress things. And if things keep kind of rising to the surface, this process can take a long time. 
Mm. Um, now, when we're adults, it would have to be something very drastic, I feel like, to, to take five years where you have full cognition when the event happened. But yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no tried and true, like, this is the answer. It, it, it's specific to each situation. Here's when I know I'm supposed to forgive someone or some group of people. So like, for example, guys that I talked about is it's when I hear that edge in my voice, like I talked about on the lament podcast is I'm like, if it keeps coming into my face, I'm like, I think I need to grieve this and I need to forgive this. And both processes are critical. Okay. And just one more question. It may be similar. Maybe obviously it's going to be dependent on the circumstance, but the forgiven person how important is that person's awareness of their being forgiven? Like, can you forgive somebody without going through it with them? Like you guys did, you know what I'm saying? Like, is that, yeah, Yeah. well, there's, there's, there's really two types of forgiveness. And and this is actually from a book called unpacking forgiveness. And I wish I remembered the author's name, um, but I don't. Um, But there's like a therapeutic forgiveness, which is basically you becoming ready to, to truly forgive and, and then offering almost like extending the forgiveness, like you're holding out a gift to someone. Now for the restoration of the relationship, there has to be this like completed forgiveness, which does take them also repenting, you know, and it's, it's kind of this image of, of us and God. Like if we don't repent, if we're unrepentant, we're just going to keep going back into the things that are our sins. And so if, if you're trying to forgive someone who is not repentant, you can let go of bitterness. You can be prepared to offer them forgiveness, but for restoration of the relationship to happen, there, there has to be some type of repentance. And you guys can't see this, but Matt's holding his hand out when he's saying that. It's like, I'm prepared to give you this gift of forgiveness. And so here you go. Because when Matt first told me that, I was like, I don't know if that's biblical. But then I kept looking through all the gospels and he's like, repent. Like there's this, there's this two-way process of forgiveness that we have to do with Jesus. And so with other people, it's, I'm holding out this forgiveness package. My heart doesn't hold any bitterness. It's ready for you to take. But the person in order to do that restoration process has to pick up the package and like say, I'm sorry. But I would say, you know, for people who are like dead or, you know, passed on, we that forgiveness process still has to happen. And so it may be not possible, or if they're just stuck in their ways and for you to literally say anything to them would be a gigantic explosion of emotion. There's people who I've forgiven who I know that scenario, I'm guessing that scenario would happen or they have passed on or I can never meet them like perpetrators who have hurt me. I have forgiven them. Uh, I don't hold any bitterness against them, but it maybe wouldn't be safe or physically possible to actually do that restoration process. Mm-hmm. So this has been a journey of the heart. Uh, I hope it was really a gift to all of you as we extend our hearts to you. Uh, we hope you receive it. Thank you so much for listening to the Hole in My Heart podcast for producer Steve and Matt and Lori. We'd love to hear from you anytime. You can go to himhholeinmyheartministries.com. You can email us at podcast at himhministries.com. Write a review, subscribe, give us five stars if you like us. Uh, But we really want to hear from you. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Hole in My Heart podcast. The gospel is good news for everybody, every day. Learn more at himhministries.com.